And so before we jump into a new area today, I want to make sure we review the first two parts that we've covered where we need to be investing in. Because I think if we miss the first building blocks, where it doesn't make sense to just jump in here on the third one. First thing is you have to invest in your own spiritual life. If you want to have a legacy, a legacy to pass down to somebody else, you cannot pass down what you do not possess. You can't leave a legacy that you don't have. And so the point I want to make for you guys, point one is, hey, make connecting with God a priority in your life. That's the first thing. That's the first building block. And the second thing you have to do is you have to invest in your family to make sure you are spending intentional time investing in your family's spiritual health. You need to give your kids some big truths to grow into instead of shallow explanations to grow out of. Now, if you missed one of those parts, I'd strongly recommend going back and listen to the podcast online to, to get uh, an, a better idea of what we're talking about so you can get the full picture when we say legacy. But just to, to paint a picture for you, uh, what would it look like if everyone took their own spiritual health seriously? Like we were to say, what would our world look like if everyone took up the individual responsibility to connect with God consistently and intentionally? People's lives would look different. Our world would look different, right? If we started with just that first building block. What would our world look like uh, if we had families that were saying, this family is going to follow Jesus. We are going to be intentional about investing in the next generation because it's not about us, it's about them. It's about investing in the next generation. See, these building blocks, they, they get bigger. We have to build off them. I cannot stress this enough. You need to be connecting with Jesus, and you need to be connecting with Jesus. Uh, you need to make connecting with Jesus an important part of your family. you got to invest in your spiritual health and the spiritual health of your family. And lastly, the final piece of the puzzle today, you've got to invest in the spiritual family. I'm talking about the church. And I want to be clear, you got to do it for yourself and you got to do it for your household before you can pour into others. So how do you invest in the church? How do you leave a legacy in the church? We're going to get into God's word this morning and see what he has to say about that, see what his word has to say. Let's get our hearts ready uh, to receive what God has for us this morning. Let's just put your arms out, with your palms up, close your eyes. It's just, just a posture of surrender. Take a deep breath. And remember that God is just as near as the air you're breathing. Let's pray. God, would you guide us closer to you? Help our minds put away the frustrations of the past week. Help us to put away the distractions of the coming week. We want to fully focus on you. We come empty with nothing to offer but surrender. Fill us up as only you can. Holy Spirit, move in here today with power. We believe that in advance. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Here is our, our passage for today. It's going to be Ephesians 4, these six verses here. We're going to go through them real quick. This is uh, verse 1. Therefore, I, this is the Apostle Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves 
united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, and just as you've been called to one glorious hope in our future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and is living through all. This passage, if you were to look at it in a Bible, the heading of this little paragraph here is entitled, Unity in the Body. And when it says the body, it's referring to the church, the church of Jesus. And specifically, it's talking about how, how the church, which is a collection of individuals who have put their faith in Jesus, that's what it's talking about when it says church. A bunch of individuals who are following Jesus. How should these people, how should they treat one another? And Paul, he is writing this verse. He's literally in prison, and he's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. And the message he's trying to tell the believers is you need to be unified, to, to live a life worthy of the calling God has placed in your life, to be humble and gentle, to be patient, uh, make allowances for the faults of others, to be united in spirit and to bind yourself together with peace. A little bit of context on the world Paul is speaking to. Jesus came and turned the religious system that was in place on its head. Uh, it was all previously based off of a works and sacrifices, and they really had to, their faith had turned into something that you do. It wasn't something you believe in. It was something that you do. It was not about connection with Jesus. It was about kind of hitting these check boxes off the list, so to speak. And so when people started to hear that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, uh, it was really groundbreaking deal. Because there's generally two types of people that we're, we're looking at here that Paul is addressing. There's the irreligious people, people who, uh, they didn't go to church, they didn't go to temple, all right? And, and they're saying grace is absolutely amazing, right? You don't have to do anything but have faith. You only have to do anything you have to do. The only thing you have to do is Belief. That's what the irreligious people are saying. They're saying, this is amazing. Then you have the religious people who are like, this grace thing is amazing. It's all by faith. Like, we've been working so hard. We, it's not like that anymore. And when you take these two people and put them together, there is some natural friction. One side has been living in absolute license, right? Like, they just do whatever they want. And the other side has been living in complete legalism. And so you've got this license and legalism, and they're coming together under the roof of Jesus who says it's all about faith. These are two groups of people that put their faith in Jesus. He's given them a new heart, but they've been living lifestyles completely opposite of one another for generations. For generations, legalism, and for generations, license. Just do whatever you want. And because of that, they are constantly arguing about how to live out their faith in the world that they live in. That they just, there's conflict there, there's friction there. They've, they are wired completely differently. And Paul doesn't say, you're right, you're wrong. Maybe he does a little bit in 1 Corinthians, he kind of gives them some, some clarity there. But he doesn't just say to do these things, he says, hey, be humble, be gentle, patient, be, be generous to them. Be united. He doesn't just tell them these things. He reminds them of the why. And, and why is really important. In verse 4 it says, For there is one body, one spirit. You've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, of all who is over all and living through all. It's like Paul just coming from the top ropes, like saying, he's just laying it down. The reason we're here is because of Jesus 
That's what it's all about. There is one body, and that's Jesus' church. We've been called to one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over everything. And when we have Jesus, we have all we need to be unified as a church. Because it's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. So I think the first way we need to, to frame leaving a legacy at church or in church, it's through unity. To be for one another. Uh, church, there are so many ways that the enemy tries to distract and divide the church. Some churches spend more time fighting other churches than they do doing ministry. That's terrible, right? And I think maybe what's even worse than churches fighting amongst themselves, churches against churches, it's churches fighting their own body, right? Fighting amongst themselves. People who've said, hey, we come together because of Jesus, and then they just can't get it, get it on the same page. They can't be united. I want you to think about this. If we can't have unity inside the church, why in the world would anybody want to follow our Jesus? You know, the Jesus who said, the world will know you are my followers by your love. I mean, that's, that's what he said. The world will know we are followers of Jesus by our love. Church, if we are to leave a legacy that matters, we have to be united. And, and here, here's where it gets a little personal, if I can just be real. We're not united around our preferences or our political opinions or, or our finances. We're not united around any of that stuff because we should have some variety in this room. We're united around one thing and one thing only, and it's Jesus. I don't know if you know this. That, that requires us to work at it because sometimes those preferences, those things that we hold to, have opinions. I'm all for it, all right? But when those things take the place of Jesus, we've messed something up. And when we have differences of opinion, it's really easy just to say, I'm not going to talk to them. That's not what Jesus says. He says, hey, if you're a part of the body, when you have family at the table together and somebody says something crazy and they just, they, it makes you want to push away. That's what you might do if it's a stranger. But when it's your family, when it's your brother, when it's just, when they say something crazy, you don't push away from the table. You lean in. You say, this is my family. I'm going to fight for it. That's what we need to do as a church. It requires some work. We've got to work at it. Uh, Psalm 33, 34, 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. And it says this, work to maintain it. Work to maintain the peace. It's not going to come naturally. You have to keep our eyes on the prize, and that's Jesus. He is the one that ties us together. It's not our preferences. It's not what we like, the things we wish were this way. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24, it says this. We're just talking about the church. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. When was the last time you thought of ways to motivate others to love and good works? Did that hit anybody? <laughs> When was the last time you thought about motivating others to love and good works? It goes on in verse 25. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't neglect our meeting together. If you want to invest in the church, you have to be united. You have to be at church, right? It says, let us not neglect our meeting together. 
I want you to hear me on this. The early church was very diverse. You had small gatherings of people and you had large gatherings of people. Some people are like, no, the early church just met in homes. That's all they did. There was one day in Acts where 3,000 people were added to the church. That's a big home, right? There were small gatherings and there were large gatherings. You don't need to neglect either one of those. We need to connect with other believers in smaller and more intimate ways. That's an important part of growing, having that one-on-one, life-on-life kind of relationship. But we also need to come together corporately as a body of believers to just worship King Jesus together. We invest at church by being united. Another way we invest is by uh, serving others. The church is actually a place that is to be marked by its service to others. Uh, No hate on this phrase because I want this to be true for refuge. Uh, But there are so many churches that have a saying uh, that's something like this. says, a place you can call home. Right, you ever heard that? Like, it's a place you can call home. I I want that to be true. I want this to feel like home. Just picture this, and we're talking about service. Imagine a place that you call home. You invite people to your home. Say, come over, enjoy it. But then you just let everyone else do all the stuff. Like, imagine I had you over to dinner at my house. You would think I'm crazy if I just sat down at the table and expected you to serve me dinner at my house, right? You're like, this is your house. What you doing? You're crazy. Because when it's your house, you take care of it. When a guest comes, you don't expect them to serve you. You take care of them. Contextualize this a little more. If Refuge Church is your home, you need to find a place to serve. And hear me on this. I'm not saying serve out of a guilt or an obligation, but we serve out of the overflow and gifting that God has given us. I'm incredibly thankful for the worship team each and every week because if you guys had to hand me a mic every week to hear, hear me sing, y'all would start getting up and walking out of here. That's not how I'm wired to serve. So serving isn't a one-size-fits-all, but we need all types of people serving to be the church God has called us to be. Each and every week, it's a little over 20 people to make everything that you see happen, from the kids' classes to singing to working the slides in the back to coffee to holding the door open to setting up chairs. And I'm praying that even more people will be ready to serve. Not, not because we want to have more people serve, but because we want to see God do even more amazing things. You don't plan for where you're at, you're planning for where you're going. I believe that God has big plans for Refuge Church this year. And and the best part is he will use us if you will follow him in obedience. We invest in the church by being unified. We invest in the church by serving. And the last way I want to talk, just for a brief moment, is we invest in the church uh, by giving. I saw some of you grab for your pocketbook just to make sure it was still there. I know you felt that, right? Now, I, I am not putting any pressure to you. Uh, but, but to be honest with you, everything has a price, right? If you were looking at this room, we got sound equipment that is expensive that we have to keep updated. We got donuts. We got kids' curriculum that we use. Uh, we got rent. All of those things are real. They have a cost. It costs to do uh, ministry. It costs to do church. I heard a quote from a theologian. Uh, he was asked, how much ministry could you do with $100? And this, like, super, he's, like, got whole commentaries in the Bible. You're expecting this, you know, $10,000 answer. And he goes, about $100 worth, right? You get $100, you can do about $100 worth of ministry. It costs to do things. Uh, he was illustrating that truth. Everything has a cost. So, so please hear me on this. God is going to take care of his church. I have seen God take care of his church uh, in ways that I just, honestly, I still can't believe. So, so as we read this passage, I don't want you to think about every, anybody putting uh, a pressure on you. It's true, Refuge Church does have a cost to all the stuff that we do. I'm not making a case to give so that we can make budget. That's, that's not what I'm about. 
I'm bringing up money because uh, God talks about money. He talks about giving tithes and offering. And it's actually one of the only areas in Scripture where we see God explicitly say, put me to the test. Put me to the test. Uh, Malachi 3, verse 8 says this. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Have you cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me? Verse 9. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating on me. Ouch. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. goes on. I will open up, say that word in the yellow when we get there. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. Bring all your tithes and offerings and I will open up windows of heaven, a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. I want to be clear that God is not saying if you give, you are going to get an even greater financial blessing. But he is being clear. When you give God, it's honestly, when you give God what is his, he will bless you in ways you can't imagine. It could be financially, it might not be. It could be relationally, it could be an answered prayer, it could be a miracle. The promise is this, be obedient in this and God will bless you. And it finishes with what? Put him to the test. We walk in obedience in this area and it's amazing how you will see God move in your life. We invest in the church by being unified. We invest in the church by serving others, making it not about us. We invest by, by giving because God has called us to do that. And why? Why do we do those things? This is a pretty simple message. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who unifies us. Jesus is the one who first served us. Jesus is the one who gave it all. He gave it all. He gave his life for us on the cross so that we could have the right, so that we could have the privilege to be a part of his family. And as Jesus followers, we have to remember the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross, that his blood was shed, that his body was broken because of his love for you. It was our sin, it was my sin that held him there. I'd like to invite us to do just that for the next few moments, to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And as we remember it together, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. Some people call that communion. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's just some juice and a little cracker, right? That's all it is, and they're in cups. Uh, there's a few stations around the room here, some in the front, front, the back, and on the sides. And, and this is a picture 
This is something that is reserved for those who have put their faith in Jesus. It's a picture of how we got our faith. It's a picture of how we got our faith. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night the Lord was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it says in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. It goes on to say that when we gather for the Lord's Supper, we should wait for each other, wait on one another. We're going to do things a little differently today for communion. Uh, first, I'm going to offer you guys just some time to examine your life, to talk with God privately, confess any sin that's been lingering, or maybe you just want to praise him for the cross. You just want to remember what he's done for you. Remember that he died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin. I want you to take just a moment and to pray privately. And then what I'd like to invite you to do is we're here with your family. And when your family is ready, we got the kids in here. Now, when your whole family is ready, go to one of these stations and grab the elements. It's two cups on top of each other. There's a cracker at the bottom. Okay. Grab those elements. Have one person from your family pray right there at the station. Then take the bread together. Take the wine together. And then go back and have a seat. Uh, parents, if you've got kids who haven't crossed the line of the faith yet, that's okay. Just let them come with you, pray. They do not have to take uh, the elements. We've got several stations around the room. Uh, we're in no rush or hurry to get through this. Remember in that passage it said, we will gather and we will wait on one another. So what I invite you to do right now is just take a moment and examine your self. Look at your life. Does your life look like what God wants it to look like? And as you do that, I want you to remember one thing. There's nothing, I want you to hear me, there's nothing you could do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you could do to make him love, love you any less. He completely, he fully loves you. So as you confess, as you remember those shortcomings, as you remember the times where you've messed up, he's not looking down on you with shame. He's looking at you like a son or a daughter coming home. Remember that. Take a moment, examine your life. And when you're ready, take your family to an open station, grab the elements, pray together, and then partake with him with your family. Take a moment.